This next figure that we'll look at in church history is the first one since we finished Steve Lawson's book, Pillars of Grace. Um, and this figure today is John Knox. John Knox. A scripture to consider before we look into the life of John Knox is from Jude 3. Jude verse 3 says this, Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you, about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. And then a quote from Knox. John Knox said, As touching nature, I am a worm of this earth, and yet a subject of this commonwealth. But as touching the office wherein it has pleased God to place me, I am a watchman. For that reason, I am bound in conscience to blow the trumpet publicly. John Knox. So there you see the connection. Jude says he found it necessary to write to them to contend or fight for the faith, to hold fast to the faith. John Knox says, if you compare me to everybody else on this earth, I'm just a worm. And I'm a member, I'm a subject of this commonwealth of these people. But the office God has called him to, to place him, as a preacher, he says, I am a watchman. And for that reason, I am bound in conscience to blow the trumpet publicly. In other words, to contend for the faith. The first thing we'll consider is who was John Knox? John Knox was born in Scotland between 1505 and 1514. I'm not sure exactly what year he was born in, but it was in that time period, which would have been close to the same time as John Calvin. Of his early, early years of John Knox, we know that he became a priest and is believed to have studied at St. Andrew's College. John Knox came under the influence of Reformation teaching as a younger man and would be greatly influenced later on by John Calvin during his time in Geneva after he'd been exiled from England. John Knox is primarily known for his impact on what has been called the Protestant Revolution of Scotland. And sadly, many today are more familiar with Knox's influence on the state than they are of his preaching of the gospel. So during this time, you have to get the stage, and we'll go more into this as we go forward, but there was a, an actual war, an actual revolution, fighting military strategy between Protestants and Roman Catholics in Scotland at this time. Of course, for the most part, uh, the officials, the monarchy, those in authority, the government, state, they would have been of the Roman Catholic persuasion, forcing Roman Catholicism on any Protestants that were there. Knox played a pivotal role in both the ecclesiastical and governmental development of Scotland. And he was seen as the primary opponent of Roman Catholicism, which was being forced upon the Scottish people. He was known to have had numerous meetings with the Queen of Scotland as he opposed her rule and her push for Catholicism, and he is even credited with calling for her execution after she was removed from the throne under suspicion of being involved in her husband's murder. So this queen of Scotland was suspected of, be, of having her husband murdered. And then after she was dethroned, Knox called for her execution. He had many public bouts with her. Although there are many issues that Knox addressed which were necessarily related to the power struggles between Catholicism and Protestantism in Scotland, John Knox's primary concern was to proclaim the true and saving gospel of Christ 
and he remained faithful to preach until he died. It seems I remember watching a documentary, maybe on Amazon Prime, of, of John Knox that depicted him as a young man basically holding a, she- a sword and being a bodyguard for a gospel preacher. And then they came to kill, to capture and kill the man he was supposed to be guarding. And the man he was guarding sent him away to go and protect himself. And he hesitantly left. He went. And then it's reported later that a preacher in the, con- in the context of a sermon that, that Knox was sitting under uh, personally identified him in the crowd and said God had called him out to be a preacher. And it's reported that Knox ran out of the place like crying, like he was terrified. He did not want to be a preacher, and he was very hesitant to do that. And eventually God would have his way with him, and he did become a preacher. The second question is, what was the state of the church during John Knox's life? As we already mentioned, the Protestant Reformation was well underway during Knox's life through the labors of such men as Luther, Calvin, and Zwingli in Germany and in England and in in Switzerland and Geneva. And so you've already got this this going on, and this is taking place here in Scotland, the life around John John Knox's life. The most clear and immediate threat to Christianity in Knox's day came as a result of the power struggle between Catholics and Protestants. His greatest challenges were the result of the queen and other royal officials' commitment to Roman Catholicism. And one of the benefits that we have today that we're probably not as grateful for in this country as we ought to be, some of you perhaps are, is the separation of church and state, which does not teach that the church has no say in what goes on in the state. What it means is, historically, separation of church and state means that the state cannot force religion upon the people. The state cannot do that. In Knox's day, that was the way that it worked, that whoever was in the authority in the state determined what the state religion would be. And during his life, the monarchs determined that the state religion would be Roman Catholicism and they would enforce it. Because of this, Knox's commitment to the true gospel, which was being opposed by Roman Catholicism, regularly brought him into conflict with the state as he sought to contend for the faith. And as we saw in previous messages, and this is always true, history is always messier than we would like it to be. History is messy, and the history of the church is not excluded from this. It's worth mentioning that there were probably many Protestants during Knox's day who supported Knox and were engaged in this revolution really more to escape Catholic oppression and not necessarily according to biblical convictions. It's also worth mentioning that Knox wasn't perfect. It's easy to understand how someone trying to minister in Knox's context would be taken up with the current political climate while he was trying to minister to people. And he's trying to deliver them from the spiritual oppression of Rome. That was his primary task. In many ways, I think it's probably fair if you want to know what was this man's role within Scotland. Knox was kind of like the uh, chaplain to the Scottish Protestant militia, if you want to think about it that way. He was there proclaiming the true gospel and he was calling out Roman Catholicism and he really kind of served as a rallying point and as a a kind of buoy to the Protestant uh, revolution that they were opposed to this and he served as kind of their voice and gave, gave them in some senses justification probably for some of the even atrocities that they did between murder and even kidnapping and bribery. There were a lot of things going on in this day 
that were not good. And yet, I believe it was Knox's understanding that this government that was pushing Catholicism, he saw them as pushing and forcing damning religion upon the people. And so his opposition to the state was not not necessarily as much as a revolutionary as it was a preacher of the gospel. Nevertheless, the impact that he had did affect the state. Much of the impact of Knox has already been alluded to. The third question is, what impact did he have upon the church? He stood forth as a mighty voice and a rallying cry for Protestants all over Scotland. And he used the circumstances of the conflicts that were going on as an opportunity to herald the truth of the Scriptures. At one point, they seize this basically castle church and they're keeping people out and it's kind of, you know, looks a little bit like a coup maybe. But he's there every day preaching in the context of this. When warring and threatening and violence is going on, he's there preaching. And his messages did serve to influence the outcome of these things. He was unwavering in his zeal for truth and he was willing to publicly and dramatically challenge the errant views of Rome and the monarchy. Now many today who would be in favor of a theocracy, be in favor of a state religion that was based upon the Bible basically, would lift Knox up as a great example of someone who succeeded in replacing an unbiblical government with a biblical one. The state of Scotland before his impact was had was that they were Roman Catholic and they would force that. That was the state religion. I believe one of Knox's biggest failures is that whenever they stopped the Roman Catholic oppression, they replaced it with Protestant statism. He had a direct impact not only on the government, but also on the education system, social conditions, and pretty much every aspect of the country. The profound impact is surely better attributed to his conviction for the truth of Scripture than anything else, and yet God providentially used Knox to impact an entire country. The fourth thing we consider is the death of John Knox. Knox died in 1572. It's reported that his death went relatively unnoticed. This isn't because of a lack of impact, but more likely because his ideas and his convictions and writings were already having such an impact that his death wasn't going to change that. He'd already made his mark. He'd already had the impact. Knox lived as a faithful preacher of the gospel, and he died in a like manner. The fifth thing and last thing we consider is what impact should John Knox have on us today? I mentioned before some have suggested that we ought to seek to establish a Christian government as Knox did to replace the Roman Catholic one. Now, could you ever in the history of the world, do you remember a time when there was a government whose every law was based upon God's word? Has there ever been a country or nation that's done that? Well, I'll tell you there has. The nation of Israel. And the problem with that is that external laws don't change the hearts of people. That's why you always see Israel going back into bondage, slavery, oppression, suffering, disobedience, and sin. They had, their law was the perfect law of God. And it didn't help them to be righteous people. It didn't change their hearts. And so we shouldn't be calling for a, 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 a governmental system. And here's the other problem with that. How many different denominations are there within Protestantism? Now, think about this. If we were to replace our current government with a government that was bound to the Bible, somebody's got to interpret this thing, don't they? 
The difference is if they start teaching errant things from the Scriptures, they can appeal to and say this is the authority of God. Suppose that it was a good, reformed, solid Presbyterian who was deciding how to interpret the Bible as it's applied to society. All of a sudden, could you be penalized, legally punished if you don't baptize your babies? I'm not making this kind of a thing up. This is the kind of thing that's throughout the history of the world in different uh, Christian places. These are the arguments that happened. No, we should not be pursuing a, an authoritarian state. Freedom of religion as it's meant to be in our nation, at least as it's supposed to be, uh, is, I believe, the correct way to go. It is true that there can be no real morality apart from the standard of God's Word. And we should desire that God's Word is the shaping influence for law in the land. That that's what we should desire. And yet it does seem that the current model is better that prevents the state from forcing a different religion upon us. Or at least it's not supposed to force a religion upon us. So what we can and should learn from Knox is that whether it's Roman Catholicism, Islam, or pagan secularism, every form of government is going to be dedicated to its God. The Roman Catholic leaders in Knox's day were dedicated to really a pagan and idolatrous view of God that's not reflected in the Scriptures. Knox recognized that and was concerned about it, rightly so. In our day today, there is a God of the state. Did you know that? There is a secularist God. It should not be our business to try to overthrow or revolt the government. And yet, the governing powers today are promoting just as damning of beliefs upon people as the Catholic Church was in Knox's day. These beliefs may present themselves as non-religious, and yet, the heart and center of them are opposed to God, and they perpetuate the idea that man is autonomous and could be his own God. That's what secularism and humanism says. It says you're God. And so the position of the state is whether you think you want to be a boy or a girl or marry whoever you want to, whether you can kill a baby, all of these things come down to the idea that you're your own God. It is a religion. It is an attitude. It is very much so. And so the charge, the charge to the Christian church today in light of the life of John Knox is that we, like he was, ought to be beacons of truth for the gospel in the world around us. And that we too might be prepared to contend for the faith which has been passed down to us. My prayer is that we would have boldness to declare Christ crucified for sinners and salvation by faith alone in Him. And that God would bless our labors even as He blessed the preaching of John Knox. The truth about this man is, yeah, he had an army of people willing to defend him. Willing to draw swords and go to battle in order to, to protect him. Even just this afternoon, Jim and I were talking about the different levels of persecution Christians have faced. Talked about Corey Ten Boom and others who have suffered, been brutally beaten, have been just, just so horribly treated that here's my question to us. Are we prepared to contend for the faith, to fight for the truth of the gospel? Not The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, the Scripture says. But are we prepared to stand for the truth and be committed to the gospel the way that Knox was. So I pray this is encouraging to you as it is to me. That we have a right understanding of these things. And that God would be glorified in us. So with that I'll go ahead and pray and close, pray and close this time. And then we can gather for our corporate prayer. Heavenly Father. Lord I thank you for your word. And I thank you for your servants throughout history. 
that have fought to defend the truth of the scriptures at a very severe cost much of the time. God, I pray that you would embolden and encourage us, give us discernment in how these things should be applied in our context. I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.